0: Hi there, welcome along. You're listening to the High Performance Podcast. Look, first of all, thanks to everyone for getting involved in the pod last week. It was the biggest week ever for our podcast. We had the best part of a quarter of a million people downloading and listening to the podcast. The number of messages that we received were incredible. So of course... A huge thanks to all of our guests for joining us but more than that, massive thanks to you for talking about the pod, for sharing the pod Um, and I hope that once again it was a week where you learned so much from people who are so generous to come on this podcast and just share the things that they've learned. You may well already know that we have a high performance book coming your way at the end of 2021. You can actually pre-order the book right now. All you have to do is go to the description for this podcast and it's all there. However, that's not where the big news stops. We have something that we're so excited to announce Damien and I just want to keep on growing this we want to find new ways to reach more people than ever before so we're going to set up a club Um, we're going to call it the high performance circle and it's basically a place where you can just get more access to more original content that you can't find anywhere else it's going to be world-class speakers discussing business and sports and mindset and approach to life you're going to get short sharp inspirational boosts from the high performance podcast you're going to hear keynote talks from some of the most amazing people to listen to in the world you'll get podcast episodes before anyone else you'll get a monthly newsletter it's a really exciting place it's called the high performance circle and if you head right now to the high performance podcast.com um, then you can sign up we'll send you an invite and then you'll be in the circle the content will then start coming to you and um I think it's something that you are going to love. We're so excited about it. So it's the High Performance Circle. You can find it at thehighperformancepodcast.com. Sign up right now to receive your invite. So there you go. Get involved in the High Performance Circle. Right, time for this week's episode then. And this is the kind of thing that you can expect.
1: I think that mentality of just being extremely resilient, coming in day in, day out for for seven years to achieve your goal and not listening to any negative input from anyone saying you can't do this, you'll never achieve this and then basically working my ass off every single day. I think it's the mentality of, of that resilience but then not listening to the negative input that you have from everyone else and you can change your path and your destiny if you put your mind to it.
3: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: Oh, I can't wait for you to enjoy this week's episode of the High Performance Podcast. It's a really good one. It's time for this week's High Performance Podcast. Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, delving into the minds of the planet's most successful artists, visionaries, entrepreneurs and sports stars with one single clear aim to unlock the things that they've learned so you can apply them to your life. Professor Damien Hughes, expert in high achieving team cultures is with me and today's guest has a story, Damien, that I think will resonate with almost everyone, if not everyone listening to this episode.
4: It resonated with me, Jake, I can tell you that. I think uh, any parent that's sort of having battles with their children of getting them off computers and getting them to be more active and just
0: engaged, is going to thoroughly enjoy this conversation. Okay, well, let's do it then. Please welcome to the podcast one of the world's leading CrossFit athletes. He started off life as not just an average kid, but an above average kid when it came to eating. He was overweight, he lacked the willpower, he lacked the drive, the understanding that he now possesses and that has pushed him onto incredible levels. You are about to hear a conversation with the person who is the UK's fittest man in 2020. He lives by the mantra, start where others stop, it's the title of his new book. So let's tap into the mindset behind the man. Please welcome to High Performance, Zach George. Zach, nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me both. Very good intro. Right, what is high performance? High performance to me is is a, a byproduct of
1: all the hard work I put in every single day. So for me, I was a very, very overweight kid. I was probably the complete opposite to what I am now. I ate junk food multiple times a week. I hated exercise. So for me to put in work day in, day out for seven years it's been now, all of that added up is equals to me having a high performance in my sport. So it's the, it's the daily grind, it's the coming into the gym when I don't feel like training. It's all those days and months and years added up to become the athlete I am today.
0: And the key thing that you talk about in your new book is start where others stop. And I think this is really interesting because you've got to find the thing that separates you from everyone else, right, if you're going to become elite. Otherwise, you're just very good, along with lots of other very good people. What can our listeners who've just hit play on this podcast a couple of minutes ago, what can they immediately learn from you about start where others stop to change their own lives?
1: I think uh, a lot of people put barriers in front of themselves or they say, I'm too old or I'm already too out of shape or I'm not fit enough to start that, where I want to kind of break that barrier down and it doesn't matter what stage age of life you are you can start a fitness journey any time of your life and I think that just come from past experience for me I could have easily have been the age I was 14, 13 when I was extremely overweight and just said you know what I'm an overweight kid that's who I am and that's how I'm going to live my life so for me it's taking taking that first step and saying no I can change my life whenever I want and making that stand and then starting that fitness journey so I want to kind of resonate that with everyone and all the listeners all my supporters that you can start your journey at any point in your life and never feel embarrassed or ashamed or like I said it's too late to start that journey and uh, I think that can change a lot of people's lives if they just if that resonates with people.
4: Which really fascinates me Zach because when you hear it in adult life a lot of people will make changes where it's often as a consequence of something whether it's they've You know, like they learn to drive more calmly after having a car crash or they might have an illness and suddenly they become having a greater appreciation of life and things like that. What was it that was the catalyst for you then to make that change from being the overweight 13-year-old to then want to start changing your life?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's quite a funny story. So um, there was two kind of changes for me when I was younger. The first one was when the brand new PlayStation 2 came out. And I really wanted the PS2 and I was uh, very overweight and I didn't know this, but my dad had tried a lot of times to to get me to lose weight and it just didn't work. And I think it all stems from my mum was, I was extremely close to my family, extremely close to my mum. And my mum always wanted a really big family and she had my sister and then she had, I think, seven miscarriages, then me. So it was a very stressful time for my parents. And I think when I came along, it was a bit of a, a miracle that they could have another child. So my mum, bless her, I wouldn't change anything that's happened in my life. But she would kind of, if I wanted some sweets, she gave me sweets. If I wanted chocolate, she gave me chocolate. So that kind of fed the, uh, the overweight as, as a kid. But um, yeah, so then my dad's like, right, I'll make you a deal. I'll buy you a PlayStation 2 if you lose some weight. And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm, I'm going to get a chance to get this PlayStation 2." I never thought I'd be able to get one. So I was like, "Right, okay, this shouldn't be too hard." I eat probably McDonald's five times a week. I have KFC probably twice a week. I have a bag of Haribo every day after school. Zach, so, mate, how how overweight were you? Uh, people used to call me No Neck because literally my head just blended into my shoulders. I was, I was pretty, I was pretty overweight. Um, A typical KFC meal would be, uh, I'd go to KFC, get a family bucket of KFC chicken and eat all the skin and leave the chicken. So yeah, I had a very unhealthy unhealthy lifestyle. I had a lot of allergy issues. I was asthmatic, um, allergic to probably six to 12 different things, allergic to dust. um, And I think that was all a byproduct of, of, of all the junk I was eating as well. Um, so, yeah, I said, right, okay, um, I really don't like the way I look. Um, I'm really self-conscious. I used to skip swimming lessons at school and pretend I was ill because I didn't want to take my top off because I was too embarrassed. Um, I remember multiple times my parents would have people around and I'd be sitting in the living room with my top off and I'd go run upstairs and and start crying because people were going to see me with the top off. So I was really self-conscious. Um, but anyway, my dad said, yeah, I'll buy a PlayStation 2 for losing weight. So instead of having five McDonald's a week, I'd probably have three. And instead of having... Uh, Haribo, every day after school, I'd have fruit instead. So it was just little diet changes I was starting to make that would make a difference. And after, I think it was about a month, um, we did some measurements, I lost some weight. and Dad was ecstatic, mum was happy. I was really happy because I felt great about myself. It was the first time I'd really goal it in my life. Without really knowing it, my dad helped me put a goal in place, I worked towards it for a month, I achieved that goal, and then I got a reward for it. And I think that kind of that really played a big part in my life for who I am today. So I remember going to the shots with my dad, a big occasion, got the PlayStation 2, felt really good, and I thought I'd try and carry it on. And then um, probably about half a year later, we went to a Anthony Robinson seminar, and that was a fantastic seminar. I think it was in Birmingham, all about mindset, goal setting, um, health, nutrition. And I think after that weekend, it was the first time where I wanted to get in shape and get healthier for myself. And I didn't need any other external reward. So I didn't need someone to say, oh, I'll give you this if you do this, or we'll go to here if you do this. I literally just wanted to be happier in myself, be healthier, and really tap into my full potential because being that overweight kid who didn't like his body at all was massively holding me back. So yeah, there was two major points. The PlayStation 2, and then the Anthony Robinson seminar, which was a which a real
0: mind-changing experience. I wonder whether the reason why you're now as fit as you are, and let's just remind people listening to this, we're talking to the f- fittest man in the country. You won that title in 2020. I wonder whether the reason why you can get to that point is possibly the same reason why you ended up not just a bit obese and a bit overweight, but as you've said, your nickname was No Neck. You, so, you were so fat. It's almost like... Lots of our high-performance talk about obsession and being relentless. I wonder whether you are obsessive and you are relentless, whether that is for good or for bad. And it was for bad, and now it is for good. Yeah... Yeah, hundred
1: percent. Yeah, and I, I've never really realised that until the last couple of years. But it's definitely a trait of my personality. When I was younger, I was never the kid who could just have one chocolate bar and then leave it, or half a chocolate bar. I remember my sister, my mum used to get us equal amount of sweets and chocolate, and she would save hers for weeks and really annoy me because all mine would be gone in like two minutes. So yeah, I'm definitely a personality where I go all in and I get extremely obsessed with being good or that thing that I'm focusing on. And I think any top sportsman in any field has to be obsessed with their sport or their craft because you've got to dedicate so much time, so many hours to be the best in so many different areas of your life. You can't just go to the gym and and train. You've also got to be really strict with your nutrition. You've got to be strict with your sleep. You've got to make sacrifices where you can't go out with your friends because you've got to get eight to nine hours sleep a night. So I think, yeah, I think obsession is is part of every top sportsman's mentality in some way or another.
0: Do you know what I like about this is that there'll be people listening to this, right, who go, well, it's never going to happen for me because I am the kind of person that just eats loads of food or I'm the kind of person that is obsessed with just chilling out on the sofa and watching box sets. I think the message that you're saying is if that is what you are, you have all the makeup required to be the fittest person in the UK, because you can be obsessed with being overweight, which means you can be obsessed with stuff. So it's about flipping the obsession to something positive.
1: Yeah, it's just challenging that obsession into, like you said, into something positive. And I think a lot of people, especially people who know me now, I've had multiple times where they've, people who've known me the last four or five years have always said, oh, but you're genetically gifted or you've always been like that. And there's only a few people in my life, excluding my family, who were around me when I was that overweight kid. And uh, I remember people saying, look, it's not, he's got good genetics, but he could have easily been a 30 year old who weighs ridiculous amounts because he's so so overweight, he just eats stupid amounts of junk. So I think it's really important that people that even if you're fit now and you're great in the sport now, you've not necessarily always been like that in your life and I think that's why I like to get my example out there to so many people because like I said a lot of people think I've always been this way and, and that's not the case at all I spent a lot of my youth not confident um, like I said never want to take my top off and being embarrassed about my shape and being extremely overweight and extremely unfit so it's getting that message that you can turn that around at any point of your life and luckily I did mine early but that doesn't matter if you're 30 now and you want to change it now um, it's never too late to start that fitness journey and that's what I really want to get across to people.
4: Well, can I take you back to that initial conversation that your dad had with you, Zach, because I think that's something that would stop a lot of parents sort of having the conversation like that with their kids because we're worried about self-esteem. We're worried about damaging them or creating this unhealthy body image that they're only worth something if they're in good shape or they're uh, they're looking healthy. What advice would you give to any parents listening to this that think they want to tackle this with their children, but they want to do so with sensitivity and discretion?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important subject because if my dad would never have had that conversation, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. So um, every kid's different. Every kid will react differently. And I think my mum's reaction was, how dare you say that to my son going crazy and he's perfect, blah, 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 which is... Is great and it, it's it's just full filled with so much love, but that wouldn't have helped me. And my dad knew what I needed to do to help me to become healthier. And he could tell I wasn't confident. He could tell I wasn't happy in my body shape. So, as a parent, he could see I was upset the way I, I was. So that needs to be changed. And um, it's it's important that every parent knows. Their child and the best way to go around it. So my dad just didn't come up to me and goes, "You're ridiculously overweight. Come on, you need to lose some weight. You, you look, you look ridiculous." He had a he had a sit down with me and said, "Look, son, I know you have trouble with your weight. Um, I know you like your food and that that's great. Um, but I can tell you're starting to miss a lot of swimming lessons because you don't want to take your top off. and And if we don't catch this now." you're going to be mid-twenties and still feeling the same um, insecurities. So I think we need to tackle this and I've tried many ways before um, and they've not worked. So I know you're really interested in this new PS2. So how about we try and set a goal and say, if you achieve this, um, if you choose a, a, f- a few pounds lost um, in the month and, and eat a little bit healthier, then I'll give you a award with, with getting the PlayStation 2. So I think it was the way he went about it. He didn't just say, right, you're going to lose weight for no reason. He explained to me why I wasn't happy. And obviously when you're 13, you probably don't realise what's making you sad or why you really don't want to go to swimming. You you know, deep down, it's because you're not happy with the weight, but you probably don't recognize it, um, partly because you don't want to. So for him to sit down with me and explain all the things that was going on um, and all the traits I was starting to develop because of my weight, and uh, that really resonated with me. I felt great after that conversation because I felt like I had a really good conversation with my dad, he understands understands how I feel, um, and he wants to change that. So I think if the parent goes around it the right way, it can be such an impactful um, thing on that kid's life. And I don't think parents should be be scared of having that conversation.
4: And what about your mum then? How did she eventually reconcile herself with the idea that you can be perfect and in her eyes, but you can be unhappy with yourself?
1: Yeah, I think my mum, after, I think once she realised how happy I was after losing the weight, after the first couple of months, I think that's when it really kind of sat with her. Like, my my love has kind of blinded my my vision of how my kids feeling, um, because in her eyes, I'm I'm always going to be perfect, but that's not good for me. So after the couple of months and I, I was starting to buy new clothes because all my clothes were too big for me now and that was a really big occasion for me and I used to go shopping with my parents and she could see how happy I was and she knew that this is something that I really needed to to carry on for the rest of my life. And the Anthony Robinson seminar wasn't just good for me, it was also really good for my mum as well because we came away learning so much about nutrition and health that we all implemented that in all our lives so yeah i think it was a big realization when she knew how happy i was after losing the weight that something desperately
0: needed to change and she was very happy for that change and i think that people will see the the title of this podcast zach and they'll be like oh my goodness the the fittest man in the uk i need a bit of that in my life the chances of them getting to that point is slim the chances of them just improving their lives from listening to this podcast, I think, is huge. So let's let's talk about mentality, how you actually go about getting from that point to this point. I know you, you've used the nickname Silverback or the phrase Silverback. Ex- talk to us about the, the Silverback mentality and why that matters to you. So for me, um, in my sport in CrossFit,
1: I'm a, I'm a very big athlete in, in CrossFit. So uh, I normally hover around 100 kilos, uh, six foot and you're competing against guys who are kind of a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter and a little bit better shape for CrossFit than I am. So I remember starting out seven years ago now, um, doing a few competitions and people saying, you look more like a bodybuilder than a CrossFitter, why are you, why, why are you attempting CrossFit? You're way too heavy, you're way too big, you, you're too bulky. So straight away from that mindset, I wanted to prove everyone wrong that Whoever said to me in the early stages, you're the wrong shape, you're too big, you're too muscular for CrossFit, Um, you're never going to really get very far. I wanted to prove to them wrong, basically. So for my whole career, I have worked on many different aspects that you need to be good at CrossFit, but mainly becoming the best at fitness and gymnastics I can possibly be. So I started out, and obviously due to my weight, gymnastics was super hard um, for the maybe three years, my first three years of my career, just because I couldn't grasp, kind of moving my weight in those certain ways, it was just hard for me because of my of my weight. But I think the mentality I've got is just being extremely resilient and extremely persistent with your craft and doing it day in day out. And I think a lot of people might have tried my path for three years and then maybe called it a day because they're not getting anywhere after three years. But it's taken me seven years to to get to this stage and qualify for the CrossFit Games. So I think that mentality of just being extremely resilient, coming in day in, day out for for seven years to achieve your goal and not listening to any negative input from anyone saying, you can't do this, you'll never achieve this, and then basically working my ass off every single day. I think it's the mentality of, of that resilience, but then not listening to the negative input that you have from everyone else. And you can change your path and your destiny if you put your mind to it.
4: So, would you explain resilience to a Zenzak? Because it's a small word, but it's got huge implications. And I grew up in a boxing gym. I'll give you an example. And uh, and you, we would always get a flood of people coming in after Rocky had been on TV because he fall in love with the idea of it, and then they get hit a few times, and they very quickly decide that it's not a path they want to uh, pursue. So, resilience is something that really intrigues me. So to like, to keep going at seven years for an aspect of gymnastics that doesn't come naturally to you, would you explain how people can be resilient and uh, and keep going?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you see that a lot with CrossFit as well, like you said, with the boxing. People come in and they watch um, all the Netflix documentaries of CrossFit, or the highlights of the CrossFit Games, and people are like, right, I want to get to the CrossFit Games and they come in they come into the gym i've had it loads of times they're like right i want to get to the gains next year and i'm like okay it's great to have that goal but it's extremely hard to get to that level and you need to dedicate a lot of years have you done cross it before like no I was like okay well let's let's keep that goal for maybe a four year goal and uh yes yeah, so you you definitely see that a lot or you see people come into the gym and they they want to do a ring muscle up straight away um because it looks cool and i was like okay can you do a pull up and they're like no and it's so, said, okay, well, it's going to take a long time, a couple long, of months to be able how to... Long? I'm in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it took me, it took me a long time. It took me about eight months. No way. But and the then, ring muscle-up is where you hang from the rings and you bring yeah. yourself up, yeah? yeah? Yeah, you
1: transition and then you dip out the top. So it's a very skillful movement, combination of um, skill, strength, coordination, but it's one of the most, like the sexiest moves probably in CrossFit and that's what everyone wants to do. Um, So you get a lot where people want to come in and and try it, they can't do it and then you don't see them again. So um, yeah, resilience is is coming into the gym and working on a craft every single day, but I think it's also a combination of being patient because no one's going to walk into the gym and be an absolute animal from day one. They've got to be resilient in their training, but then they've got to be patient to be able to allow themselves to give them the time for that skill to develop. And I think even for me, I worked on gymnastics a lot in my career. And in 2019, we had um, the CrossFit Open. So I don't know if you know the CrossFit Open, but it's a five week process, one workout a week for five weeks, and you're scored against everyone across the world. And, um, that's what I won in 2020 for the UK. So in 2019, I wanted to win the UK spot as well. So I was going into into week three. I think I was top of the leaderboard, had a fourth and a first finish for the first two weeks. And this was the first year where I thought, well, wow, I'm going to qualify for the Games. I'm going to achieve my goal that I've been working towards for six years. This is, this is my time. Uh, I was feeling really good. A lot of people were backing me to win. And then week three comes out, and it's um, strict handstand press-ups. So that's where you're upside down against the wall, your head has to touch the floor, then your arms have to fully extend. So like a press-up, but you're just upside down against the wall. So I'd be doing a lot of gymnastic movements, but strict hands and press is not one that I've practised because it's never come up in the open before. So I was like, right, okay, um, this might be tricky. I've not really practised these, but I think I'll still be able to hold my own. So you have between Friday and Monday to repeat the workouts as many times as you want. You normally do them once on Friday and then repeat it on Monday and, that, and that's good enough. I did this workout five times over three days and I just couldn't get a good score on this workout. And it had 50 strict handstand press-ups in and I just couldn't get them done quick enough. And it, for me, it was, it was a massive blow and probably the biggest setback I've had in my career because um, it was just so hard that I was so close and I thought this was the chance I was going to get to the Games, but yet another another gymnastic movement's cost me getting to the Games, but I've worked so long on gymnastics. And in that workout, I came 168th in the UK in that one, and then week four and week five, I finished second and first. So over the five weeks, I came fourth, first, first, second, 168th, and that one workout cost me my spot of getting to the Games. So for me, I think resilience, that was probably when I've been one of the most resilient I've been in my career because after that week three, I could have easily have just said, right, I'm out of the runnings of qualifying for the Games. Um, I've blown it. I'm going to have to wait another year. I'm just going to not finish the rest of the Open. Whereas for me, my mentality was like, right, I've messed up this, this workout and it's purely my fault. No one else. I've got no one else to blame. I just didn't program this movement. But I'm gonna finish with an absolute bang and show everyone that the people who beat me in this open only beat me on one workout, they didn't beat me in five. So I came back the next week, like I said, finished with a second place, then finished with a first place for the last week. And yeah, what the guy who won that UK Open, really nice guy, he messed me saying, Thank God you can't do strict hands down press-ups. So again, it's that it's that mentality of of not giving up and always showing up. To the gym and giving you your best performance even if you have massive setbacks can you do them now yep so back then 50 strict handstand press-ups took me five minutes two seconds and then two weeks ago i did 100 strict handstand press-ups a time in 5:26. so i can nearly do double the amount in nearly the same amount of time i did did back then so i practiced them four times a week uh, every week for two years and now, uh, yeah, now I would say they was strength. So in 2020, a workout came up with handstand presser again, and I, I won that workout in the UK. So, again, it was just all down to my own programming, but I came back and I, I hammered that weakness
0: every single day. And it comes back to obsession and hard work yet again. Do you believe that you can get to the, the elite level, not just of CrossFit, but of any area of life without obsession and hard work? Uh... I personally,
1: it's a, it's a fine one, but I personally don't. If you want to be the top in any aspect of, of life, the people who are at the top are all going to be obsessed and all going to be hardworking. You're going to have people who are extremely talented, extremely um, gifted, but if they don't have the hard hardworking obsession that someone else is going to put in, then they're not going to make it. I think the people who get to the top in any sport, any area of life, always have common traits and they're going to outwork anyone, they're going to be obsessed with their craft, and they're going to be extremely talented. So I think there are three major key facts to get to the top of any aspect in life.
4: One of the things that intrigues me about CrossFit, Zach, is um, the idea of you have to work on your weaknesses. Yeah. And yet we're in a society that often sort of points out our flaws and our weaknesses and rather than encourages us to play to our strengths. So how do yeah. you balance that? that demand to focus on your weaknesses but still to concentrate on what you're good at.
1: Yeah, it's one of the the hardest aspects of, of CrossFit, I think, because unlike any sport, there's so many elements of fitness that you've got to be good at. So you've got to be a good runner, you've got to be a good swimmer, you've got to be good on a road bike, you've got to be a good Olympic weightlifter, you've got to be good at many different gymnastic movements, you've got to be good at bodyweight movement. So for me... This all comes down to how good you are programming and how good you are knowing your athletes. So for me, I'm quite an unusual athlete as well because I coach myself, so there's not many people at the top of the sport who who coach themselves, they always have a coach. So for me, I know where my weaknesses are and I know where my strengths are. So me being a heavy athlete, I know I can always throw around some decent weight. So I know I can always power clean 160 even if I don't lift a lot of weight for for multiple weeks. Whereas if I don't do ring muscle-ups or handstand press-ups for three weeks, I'm going to see a massive drop-off in my gymnastic numbers. So it comes down to how well you know your athlete or how well you know yourself. And for me, I know... I just need to tick over on all my strengths because they're always going to be there. But then my weaknesses, I need to work on a lot during the week. So it's just about managing your time and managing your training sessions. So if you have a training split of, I say, 40% fitness for me, 40% gymnastics, and then 20% lifting. And that's how I go through my uh, training schedule throughout the year, Whereas someone who's a lot lighter than me may have to focus a lot more on strength and a strength block for maybe a couple of months to build their strength up and not focus so much on the fitness side. It's a fine balance of, of building your weaknesses without letting your strengths
0: go. Can I get quite specific just for a second, Zach? I try and go to the gym three times a week. I haven't quite managed to uh, reach your levels, but I'm i edging. <laughs> uh... Still
1: got many years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not as many as I did have. Um, I will always fail mentally before I fail physically. So... At the moment, obviously, we're all apart. So, I, and I'll be totally honest about something that happened the other day, right? My PT, great guy, he's on, he's on Zoom at the moment and I was doing press-ups, okay? And he said to me, um, three sets of 20 press-ups or whatever. And on the third set, it was the, towards the end of the session, I'm, my brain is going, you're just exhausted. You haven't got what it takes. And I, as I was doing it, I sat up, turned off the Zoom, turned off the phone, and then went upstairs, waited 15 minutes, called him and went, sorry, mate, I think my internet died, right? I would imagine you would never do that. So what is the self-talk? Because you will go to some really, really dark places. I've watched the CrossFit games, I've seen the documentaries, I know what it's about. You go to the absolute limit, right? I haven't even got there, and I'm already turning off my phone. When you go to those places, what do you do to stop yourself turning off the phone?
1: Yeah, I have... Two things. Um, one is I just remind myself of how badly I want to achieve my goal, and that is to podium at the CrossFit Games. And two, the amount I've sacrificed for seven years. It, it's hard for me to ever stop during a workout. Not to put you down here, Jake, because obviously it's, it's very different to me. But it would ruin my day if I if I quit a workout. And it actually happened to me two two days ago. So it does happen to everyone. I didn't quit a workout, but I didn't hit the reps I set myself, so I, especially during lockdown and you train on your own, I do a lot of EMOMs they're called, so every minute on the minute it stands for, so you pick a rep scheme, so say you do 20 burpees every minute for 10 minutes, so you'll do 20 burpees, it might take you 40 seconds, you've got 20 second rest till the next minute, so I do a lot of that, it's great to to really show progression and it's a great way to test your fitness. And I didn't hit my reps on that workout. I don't I don't think I warmed up long enough. I just wasn't feeling great that day. I just wasn't feeling it. So about 15 minutes in, I had to drop my reps. And I got home and my girlfriend was like, you okay? I'm like, yep. Yeah. And literally, I was a grumpy sort for about five hours. It, it, ruined, it ruined the rest of my day. And I, all I was thinking about was that workout, why I didn't hit it, what I did wrong. And again, it comes back down to the obsession of of just wanting to be the best you possibly can so today this morning I did that same workout I changed my approach and I hit all the reps and that would have bugged me or irritated me until I'd done that workout so I think in my head it's just reminding myself how bad you want it how much effort you've put in these last seven years and also what are your what are your opposition doing would your opposition stop at this point where you're going to stop and if they are going to stop you don't stop because that's going to make you better. So it's a combination of thinking about the goals that I want to achieve, um, thinking about all the hard work I've, I've put into to my craft for the last seven years, and also making everyone around me proud. And I think you'd be lying, any athlete would be lying if they don't feel the pressure as well. I always feel pressure from, in a good way, I have a lot of support in the UK and I love all my supporters, love all the fans that, that come to watch me. But being in the spotlight in a sport obviously does add pressure. And I think if anyone says they don't feel pressure on the top of the sport, then I'd find that hard to believe because you've got loved ones who are supporting you. You've got friends who have supported you. You've got training partners who have trained with you on this journey for for four or five years and and they've dedicated their time to being able to train with me and push me as hard as I can. So I do want to achieve all the goals for myself, but I also want to achieve it for everyone who's been on that journey with me because it has been a big team effort f- throughout the the years that I've been doing this. So um, it's that added pressure as well that y- I put on myself to be the best and,
2: and perform well for everyone who, who supports me.
4: See, but what I find astounding then, Zach, is the fact that you don't have a coach, because you seem like you're pretty relentless with yourself, and you don't allow yourself to make excuses, which is great, but sometimes having somebody that can almost advise you, you need to just step off a little bit now, Zach, or to push you harder, is often really important
1: yeah definitely I've probably got about four people around me when I say coach I, I I program for myself I do all my own programming for the year but then I have probably three people uh maybe four people two training partners who will always keep me in line and keep me in check if'm if they think I'm going too hard or if I'm not feeling a session like that come on like let's get to grips you need to work hard now and then I have Harmi, my business partner slash Probably my closest I've had to a coach because he, when I first got into CrossFit, he taught me all the movements. And then I have a guy called Ben who comes to me for all competitions. He'll help me warm up. He'll help me with my um, strategies for um, the workouts. Um, he'll keep an eye on what other athletes are doing, what other times they're achieving. So I do have a good support group around me. I just don't have a, anyone who programs for me. Um, so yeah, it is extremely crucial to have to have that than people around you because you can't always see the best things for yourself um, so it's good having those people and, and I, there's many times in the gym where I have a bad lift and Harmy will come over to me and say look you did this because of this and then I'll correct it
0: so yeah I have a great group
1: around me I just don't have anyone specifically programs for
0: me How do you choose the people that you trust then Zach? Because you're at the top of your game in the UK you have hundreds of thousands of social media followers it'd be so easy for you to surround yourself with just people blowing smoke up your WhatsApp it all the time wouldn't it yeah
1: yeah i think um i'm extremely laid back um and i think i i just we've always just attracted a good group of people around me so i've always had the same four or five people who have helped me within crossfit for the last six years um again they're training partners business partners and along the way you have people who who come in and they're big supporters and they help you for a period of time but then they move off and get on with their life or their their destination changes or their path changes but um, I think it's just I have a small group that I've always just kept the same and then I've had people around me who have just come and gone throughout the years and I think CrossFit is quite a a unique sport in the sense of the community it has so a CrossFit gym is very very different to a normal commercial gym Um, everyone's like one big family so I don't know if either of you have ever been to a CrossFit gym, but it's it's very different, and it's quite hard to explain if you've never been in one, but people will come to the gym, they'll do a class, but then they'll hang around for maybe one to two hours after, and the amount of people, um, like the partners, are getting annoyed, it's like, why are you spending so long at the gym? I don't understand how you can spend three hours at a gym, but unless you've been to a CrossFit gym and you've been around the community, it's hard to kind of grasp what it's like, But it's such a unique um, aspect of the sport. And one of the things that made me fall in love with CrossFit is that community feel. And you feel that in every aspect of CrossFit. So you feel that at your box. When you go to a competition, all the athletes are talking to each other and you'll often share um, tips on the workout between each other. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a really unique
4: um, sport in the sense of the community it has. So how do you balance that then? So helping people and giving them advice and then actually wanting to beat them?
1: Yeah, for me, I'm probably Ben will always tell me off because I'll just go chat to anyone, and will be like, oh yeah, I did this and this workout. And Ben's like, stop doing that, Zach. You can't just stop telling me your strategy. I'm like, all right, chill out, Ben. Like, (laughs) chill. (laughs) So yeah, for me, I think I'm probably too, too laid-back and too kind of honest in that sort of regards. Um and I'm super laid back all the way through the competition. So even when I'm warming up, I'll be having a laugh with someone and Ben will try and drag me over to try and get me to warm up. And he'll be like, "That can you get serious now? Come on, we're on in 10 minutes. But that's just my personality. I'm, I'm super laid back. But as soon as I get on the floor, it's like a switch gets turned on and then I just totally change
4: and then it's game time. So tell us about that then, because that's the bit that really fascinates us.
1: Yeah, so for, I think it's something that... It's never something I've... I've had to work on. It's just always how I've been as a person. So I've always had little triggers throughout sports. So um, I used to play rugby when I was younger. I played to a fairly decent level. Um, and I used to be, again, super laid back. I'd be the one that's cracking all the jokes in the warm-up. Um, the coach would be having a go at me, not taking the warm-up seriously. And then I used to have this thing where I, I kept my gum shield in my sock. And as soon as are on the pitch, you lined up, either we're kicking or they're kicking. As soon as I took that gum out of my sock, put it in my mouth, that was my trigger for, for the switch. And then I'd be one of the best players on the pitch. And I'd have a great game and the coach would be like, how can you be so laid back seconds before and then just switch? Whereas other athletes are, are spending kind of half an hour, 40 minutes doing a whole routine to try and get them mentally prepared for a big rugby game. And I think it just comes down to Everyone's so different and not one technique works for everyone. And then in CrossFit it's the same thing. Uh, I'm extremely laid back in the warm area, trying to have a laugh with people. As soon as I'm standing waiting to go on to the, into my lane, as soon as there's a countdown, it's always a 10 second countdown before the wad starts. As soon as that goes 10, 9, that's my switch. I don't hear any music, I don't hear anyone cheering for me. All I can focus on is that workout and
0: finishing it as fast as possible and beating all my uh, opposition. So apart from hearing the countdown, is there anything mentally that you say to yourself? Do you have a mantra or a phrase or something that you remind yourself of at that moment that helps you get into that place?
1: Um, I think I I do, but it's very that all comes down to the work I'm doing. So I have little cues. So if the workout was, um, I don't know, if it was a 5k run, my mental cues before would be very different if I was doing a max clean and jerk. So if I was going for max Clean Jerk, I'd be saying to myself, right, keep your feet planted, get full extension, make sure you have high elbows. So I'm having different technical cues for that lift. Whereas if I'm going for a 5k run, I'd be like, right, don't get carried away with people starting out too soon, stick to your paces. So every
0: workout, I'll have different cues according to that workout. You've picked up on something there that I just wanted to touch on, which is for people that haven't seen CrossFit before, you're all competing on the ward at the same time. And it's a brilliant spectator sport because you can watch people's progression. How do you not be affected by the person who's your biggest rival moving ahead of you or equally you moving ahead of them? And that little voice going, are you going too quick? Do you need to slow down? Is to be either chased or to be the chaser, how that affects you?
1: Yeah, so that's a a good question because I've made so many mistakes in the past of going out too hot, trying to chase people. Probably one of my most famous ones, I was at a competition regional 2018 and it was a workout called Linda. So it's 10 down to 1, so you do 10 reps, 9 reps, 8 reps of deadlifts, uh, bench press and squat cleans. So 10 deadlifts, 10 bench press, 10 squat cleans, then 9 of each, 8 of each and uh it was my first real big competition, big competition I've ever been in. There was probably about 6 7000 people watching in the stadium in Berlin. Um it's a real big achievement to to qualify for regionals. Not many athletes do it. I think the top 40 in Europe qualified to go to regionals, so it's a real big event and this was an event that everyone picked me to win. I came out so hot. I think I was about 30 seconds ahead of everyone else by the third round. And then I completely died and finished maybe a minute and a half slower than what I should have. And that's because I just went out too hard, I got caught up in a race with this other guy going too quick. And we both just died and and we came probably eighth or ninth in the heat where I I should have been first. So that definitely comes with experience of being on the athlete for and knowing what athlete you are. So I know in the early stages, I used to get very caught up with chasing people, chasing whoever's first. But whoever starts a workout first doesn't normally finish first. And that's just something that comes with uh, being an experienced athlete and having many competitions under your belt. You normally see a lot of younger athletes go out extremely hot and you think, oh, they're going to crash and burn in five minutes. So it's it's a combination of having good competition experience under your belt, knowing your your potential and what sort of athlete you are, And it's very hard not to get caught up in that race. But like I said, it comes with experience. It's something you learn over the years of competing in CrossFit. But I've learned from making many mistakes in in that regard, many painful mistakes.
4: But that's just as applicable for life as well, would you not agree, Zach, about not getting caught up in others' expectations or what other people are doing?
1: Yeah, massive it's, it's one of the big things I try and um, get across to people on their fitness journey as well, that your fitness journey is going to be extremely different to your friend's fitness journey. So say if two people start a fitness journey together and one loses weight way quicker than the other, or one gets a lot stronger than the other, a lot of people can get demotivated by that because they're thinking, why are they progressing so much quicker than I am? So it's really important to, I always say, to run your own race, and not get caught up in what anyone else around you is doing or what they're achieving because you will achieve it if you stay consistent, you're resilient and you're patient with whatever you're working towards. And I think, especially with social media, social media is great and I love it it, because I can inspire so many people around the world, but again, someone can look at someone on Instagram and think, oh my God, like they've achieved that in a month and I've still not done it and I've been going for three months, I'm just going to stop. So it's really important to get that across to people that You will achieve your goal if you stick at it. It just might not be as quick as other people. So make
0: sure you run your own race and make sure you're patient and and don't give up. It's so difficult though, isn't it, Zach? Because we live in a world now where comparison is everywhere. 20 years ago, you didn't know what anyone else was doing because you only saw them at at, at events. Now everything is shared on social media. And the great phrase comparison is the thief of joy is so apposite in 2021. Did you have to learn to not compare yourself to other people?
1: Yeah, massively. I think like if anyone says they didn't, then I find that hard to believe because Instagram and social media is normally everyone's highlight reel. They put their best lifts on there, they put their best times on there. Um, and and that's great because it can inspire a lot of people, but I don't get carried away with what other athletes are doing on social media because being good in your own gym, filming a lift is very, very different to performing on a stage in front of thousands of people. When pressure's on, when you're already fatigued from previous workouts, you might not have got your nutrition right, so you might be flagging. So I don't get carried away with that sort of stuff at all because, like I said, it's very different being on social media, filming yourself compared to being on the on the competition floor. And you, you do you do see that a lot. You see a lot of people who look so technically good. Um, and then they get to competition; they, they don't perform very well. For me, it doesn't affect me at all, really. Um, but I can see how easily people can get wrapped up in social media, and um, I think it's just something that we've got to be very careful as as we go through the years and just try not to get our
4: our youth too wrapped up in in, in that sort of aspect of life. So, like, did you put on? You know, you said two days ago you didn't do your reps. Did you post that on your social media?
1: Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I will put it on when I put it on today because I wanted to wait till I'd, I'd hit it. But yeah, it's kind of getting that across to people that not every workout you hit first time and not every workout you get right
0: When you, you say that on your socials, when you say, look I've achieved this, but two days ago I failed at it. Is that something that you're kind of happy to share? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd happily share that. Yeah, definitely, because it shows that side of an athlete's
1: training that's not always kind of perfect and it's not always... Not always right. And I think that's good to get a lot of, across a lot of people. And I get a lot of messages from people saying, How do you train so well and so hard every single day? How do you hit your workouts every single day? And I think I probably spend more time speaking to people on a personal level than I would put it on my actual page. And I always say to people, look, I train hard every single day, but not every every single day is a good day. Some days I walk into the gym and I can snatch 120 some days i'm struggling to hit 100 kilos so i i speak to a lot of people probably 10 to 15 people a week about um mentality and how my training is going because i think people just want to be they're just interested how my training is going anyway leading up to the season so i always like to spend a lot of time chatting to people and, and getting that across to
0: people and dealing with failure is a natural part of an athlete's life i know you had a spot at the crossfit games which is for people that don't know that's the olympics in your sport because of coronavirus, they trimmed it. They announced only the top 20 that had qualified from the specific events could compete. You were one spot away from being one of those people. So that was the seven-year dream, right? It got taken away from you through no fault of your own. What was the process for you mentally resetting to go again? Again, this I think this comes down to
1: my laid-back nature. When all this um, coronavirus started happening, I knew probably something going to change with the CrossFit Games. Um, and I first thought they're probably just not going to have spectators, but they're going to have some athletes then. Obviously, as it developed, it got worse. And um, I remember seeing the notification on Instagram because I was having a, a date night with my girlfriend and we specifically said no phones on this date night. Yeah. And uh looked at my phone and it was just going mental, the amount of messages I was getting. And um, it was people tagging me in, in the post that they released saying they're only going to take um, the top 20 and uh, that was going to put me a couple of spots out. And I remember reading it to my girlfriend, and she was fuming. She was so annoyed, and
0: my family was so annoyed. What, because you'd taken your phone on the date night? <laughs> or cause you,
1: yeah. Or because you, you missed the spot. <laughs> Thank God it was because I missed the spot, no. Yeah, she, uh, she, she was fuming, and um, I just said to myself, okay, that, that's what they decided. And I literally just said, right, let's crack on. And my girlfriend just couldn't understand why I wasn't more emotional, why I wasn't more annoyed, because um, she was so frustrated. And I think for me, me getting frustrated is not going to change anything. Me getting annoyed with CrossFit is not going to change anything. they made their decision. Obviously, they had to make the decision for for certain reasons, and that would have been a tough decision to make. But no one's going to take away what I've achieved. So for me, I've, I've, I've achieved that. That goal I wanted for seven years is, is to get recognition as a Games athlete, to win the UK Open, to be the fittest in the UK and to have earned the right to be at the CrossFit Games. And yeah, that didn't end the way I wanted it with having a great performance at the Games, but no one's taken away what I've achieved. So for me, I chose it as an opportunity to, to have a big off-season and really dive into a lot of work that I wouldn't have been able to achieve. You
0: made it a positive
1: yeah, if, if I wasn't, if I was going to the games, I would have been so wrapped up and focused at the games, I wouldn't have worked on anything else in my career. Whereas I wrote a book, we've, we've worked with so many different sponsors, and we've done a lot of work in the time where I wouldn't have been able to if I was competing at the games. So, like you said, I've turned that negative into a positive and achieved a lot career wise, and then still kept my training on point. It's that mentality of no matter what happens in your life, you've got to try and turn it around and, and turn it into a positive. And, and gain something from it. I think it could have been very easy to got so mad at the world that they've taken my spot away and just, just bummed around for months and months in my own kind of upset because I've not been able to compete at the games. So, um, yeah, turned it around and, and made it into a positive and, uh, yeah, and, and no one's going to take that achievement away from me.
4: I think the biggest achievement listening to you though, Zach, is this difference between the extrinsic motivation of going after a title, going after a PlayStation... Uh, from back in the day to the intrinsic motivation of the person you are today because of the journey that you've been on. What would you describe to anybody listening then are the benefits that you've got personally, not whether we measure it with the bright, shiny medals or trophies or titles. What is it you've gained as an individual by going on this journey? So the, the main thing that
1: springs to mind is confidence. Um, because I wasn't a confidence kid at all, and I wasn't happy in the way it looked. So, for for as a kid, I'd never want to take my top off. To to now, I pretty much live with my top off. Um, CrossFit has always trained with the top off, so it's that self confidence and self happiness that no external award can can give you more so than just enjoying your own your own body and how you look. I think that's definitely the biggest thing I've taken from this journey is it's just liking the way I look and feeling confident and, and what's that brought to me in my everyday life. And also it's just being able to set a goal and work towards it and achieve it and giving yourself the best opportunity by being your healthiest, being your fittest and just generally looking after your body. I take a pride in in being healthy, and I think that's something that I like to, again, a message I like to get across to people is being healthy and being happy in yourself is one of the most important things in life, and if you can find that somehow within your life, then that's something that
0: is greatly achieved, and not everyone finds that. And what happens, Zach, when you get there, and I believe talking to you about your mentality and your approach and your hard work and your mindset that you will get to the CrossFit Games and you will podium, what happens then? What's the next thing? What's the next goal? I would like to start a family. Being an elite athlete, you've got to be
1: extremely selfish. And uh, me and partner, we, we want kids and bring up a kid, but then trying to dedicate your whole life towards a sport can be quite conflicting sometimes. I want to I be able to bring up a kid when I can give them my full attention and nothing else takes that away from that. So that's one of my main goals next. But I think once I've tasted being at the games and and podium in I know I'm probably going to want more just cuz my that's my mentality but I'm not going to put so much on hold to achieve that goal I think at some some stage in life you've got to you've got to realize you can't be that selfish constantly so this year that that's my main goal and I've I've got to be selfish to achieve it but I know next
0: year I'm going to go for it again but I'm not going to put a family on hold for that so interesting listen thank you so much for just sharing all of that with us before we finish we always like to dive into our quickfire round zach um first of all three non-negotiables that people around you have to buy into being positive
1: that is a massive one for me i've got our positive people around me
0: you've got to have a laugh is that is that with that class as one you know, I think it does for you because you must have mentioned about 20 times that you're laid back and chilled out and, I, and that is that for me is a really interesting insight into the motivation of an elite athlete that you can achieve it with being chilled out and relaxed at the right time so yeah um sense of humor having a laugh yeah I couldn't have people who are stressed out around me I couldn't have that you've got to tell me hard work features in there
4: somewhere
1: oh of course hard work <laughs> Jesus how can I forget that one <laughs>
4: Zach what advice would you give to a younger version of you just starting out on this journey I would definitely say just be patient
1: when I was younger I wanted everything so quick I wanted to lose my weight yesterday I wanted to be a freshman rug player yesterday I wanted to then be a CrossFit games athlete within a year I would just say be patient and dedicate your time to your craft and
0: you'll eventually achieve it wonderful and the final question from us what is your one golden rule to living a high-performance life? Your one golden rule
1: for me is definitely be hardworking, be resilient, be patient and be consistent. All those things put together, if you do that day in, day out, you will get to your high-performance level in any aspect of life that you want to achieve.
0: There you go, Damien. Come on, son. I want you in the CrossFit Games, Damien, 2023. (laughs) Right, Zoom fitness class now, lads. Let's go. (laughs) <laughs> um, listen, mate, thank you so much. Do you know what? I, it's so nice to speak to someone who clearly has an elite mentality, clearly can deal with setback and struggle, but who also at the same time deals in self-sacrifice and does it all with a smile on his face and a relaxed and confident nature. And I think if that teaches anyone listening to this, anything is that it teaches them if you can find your passion in life, the thing that fulfills you, no matter how dark and how difficult and how hard it is, the fact that it's your passion means it will still be enjoyable. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. Listen, mate, I've got no doubt that you will get there because, um, because you've got the mindset and mindset is king. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Damien. Jake. You know what? There was a lot of conversation there about sacrifice. And actually what stands out to me is we look at sacrifice in the world of elite performance, no matter whether it's sport or business or anything, and we see it as a negative. I think I'm sort of left with this phrase sacrifice means you strengthen. And I think that we look at it as a negative, but I think sacrifice we should reframe as a positive thing, because it gives us so much more than the little bit that we sacrifice.
4: Yeah, and that was what I found intriguing was this was this difference between extrinsic and intrinsic stuff. So what he's given up in his language, like the fizzy drinks, the crisps, the lifestyle of sitting on the sofa, versus what he's gained in terms of his confidence, his self-respect, the benefits to his whole self-esteem that is a fair trade-off and that's what if we use that language of sacrifice he would argue that that's been uh, well worth the
0: investment i think what's great about zach is obviously he's competing in a world that so many people would never get to but almost everything he talks about is directly translatable to the lives that we're living
4: yeah absolutely i think i'd love his story i love that origin story about being an overweight kid that was deeply unhappy but not understanding why he was unhappy and I think finding that passion and then just learning that craft I think that phrase he kept using about patience don't look to do it yesterday just look to invest your time in doing it and enjoy the process again that's that's applicable to anyone listening to this
0: Yeah, and I love his goal setting as well. I think the reality for him is that he has this dual ability to set a huge goal, a big target for the future, but then little goals achieving every day in the gym, just taking a step closer. Well, you're right, Jake. I think when we
4: talk about goal setting, there's three types, and Zach's just articulated it. We have the outcome of what we want, the emotional driver of what we want to achieve by getting there. Then we have the performance targets, which is how you measure it. In his case, it's being... Britain's fittest man or winning the CrossFit World Games. And then the process stuff is that seven years he spent learning his craft of being a gymnast and doing those press-ups that he described. That's the process stuff. Get the small stuff right, you hit your performance targets and the outcome will take care of itself.
0: Well, Damien, um, I know we say this quite often, but it's been a week of um, amazing responses from people Telling us what the high performance podcast is doing to them, and after the Toto Wolf episode went out, the most sort of common conversation really is has been about openness and vulnerability. Actually,
4: yeah, I th- and I think that was inspired by Toto uh, coming on, and you know, he, I know he doesn't do many podcasts, but just how open he was in terms of talking about his first experiences of arriving at Mercedes or some of his own history about losing his father at a young age. I think what that does is when people listen to it, it releases a chemical known as oxytocin, which is often referred to as the love chemical. But what it does is it creates that closer feeling to somebody where we're more well disposed to them, where we feel like we've got a connection. And I think when vulnerability is expressed in whatever way, whether we share something about our failures or some of our fears or maybe even something around just admitting our fallibility that we don't know, What we don't know, I think people are automatically induced to want to feel closer to us and want to help us in some way.
0: And we had some some lovely messages. Lisa said, "Um, I wasn't a fan of F1. I know very little about it. But what a guy Toto is. Honest, open and motivational. Harps said, great interview with Toto Wolff on the High Performance Podcast. It never ceases to amaze me how the best leaders talk about working for their people and having humility. And then uh, Dominic picked up on the quote from Toto, the man with all the gold makes all the rules. He says, often we seek simple answers to complex questions. And Toto explains there is no single golden rule. There are many of them. Thanks to Paul, thanks to Susie, thanks to Billy, thanks to Dan. So many people just getting in touch, talking about this podcast. And picking up on that theme of vulnerability, Damien, I think what's also important about it is that it allows other people to be vulnerable. So you may well be in a in a work environment where nobody dares to say, I don't have the answer to that, or I can't figure this one out, or I feel a bit lost, or I'm just simply struggling. As soon as one person says that, then I think there's a freedom for everyone to do it. And actually, when it comes to leadership, I think it needs to be the leader because someone who's a few rungs down the food chain is often not going to be the one who puts their hand up first and says, yep. Yeah, i'm going to be vulnerable i think if people are listening to this and their leaders just look at where they can bring some vulnerability into their space and see how it impacts those around them
4: absolutely jake and if there's a leader listening to this I'd encourage them go and explore the work of an organizational psychologist called amy Edmondson. she's most well renowned for a phrase called psychological safety and back in the early 1990s, she, she looked at the best and the worst hospitals in Boston. And what she found was the best hospitals had the highest near misses or recorded incident rates. And it didn't make sense to her. How could the best hospitals be making so many mistakes? And when she explored it in more detail, what she discovered was this idea of psychological safety. When people felt safe to put their hand up and admit a mistake or failure or fallibility, they'd learn from it a lot quicker. It was in hospitals where that didn't happen, where psychological safety wasn't there. People buried their failures and pointed the finger of blame and created less high-performing cultures. So what you're describing, Jake, is 100% correct, that psychological safety comes from vulnerability and being prepared to admit failure. And in many cases, that has to start with the leader.
0: Really interesting stuff, Damien, as always, from you. Um, There's another question that's come in from Ashari saying, um, hey guys, top podcast, but one of my questions for you is how do your guests deal with mediocrity? As a doctor in the NHS, which is massive, they say, you see a lot of mediocrity. At times, it's completely out of your control and your sphere of influence can be really small. You can try and be high-performance but only in that little space. I'd love to know what you think of that situation. I'm doing my best here, but maybe this environment can't change with me. What do you think?
4: It's a fascinating one, but I think it comes back to the idea of controlling the controllables. We can only influence what we can influence. And I think upholding high performance standards in our own world from ourselves and people that we can directly influence is the only way we can do this and hope that example Trump's Anything else that people see what you're doing and are curious, and want, and then you can help explain what you're doing to them, and maybe help coach them. But we can't invest our energy worrying what others are doing. Mm. He, he, as frustrating as that might be,
0: it's, it's it's difficult, and I totally get the challenge because sometimes it feels like we're our sphere of influence is so small. I think though that isn't the answer, Damien. That you just you just have to try. What you can't do is just accept that the fight is over and, and you're done. It's like, it's, what is it, the old phrase? Um, one person can't do everything, but everyone can do something. Yeah. And I think if everyone did that, we'd be amazed at, at, at the impact that we can have.
4: Yeah, but I, I, I think one of the key phrases that we picked up in all our interviews is that nobody follows hypocrites. So I think we need to focus on our own game, first of all. It's that old saying of put your own oxygen mask on before you look to help others. Make sure you're performing at high standard and then you can start to help coach others, whether that's through your own example or being able to explain the results that you've achieved in your area. Example always trumps anything else. I think if we can set the standards, others will follow.
0: Very nice, mate. And listen, Ashari, hang on there. Keep on driving a high performance mindset. Um, and I think sometimes people underestimate the impact they're having on those around them. Um, and ashari that may well be you so you might just be having a slightly bigger sphere of influence than you think damien as always huge thanks mate thanks mate loved it as always thank you of course for downloading talking about sharing the high performance podcast just a quick reminder on the link to this pod description you can order the high performance book which is coming your way very soon and we now have our own little club the high performance circle go to the website thehighperformancepodcast.com and sign up now to receive your invite where a whole world of exclusive high performance content is waiting just for you and it's coming very soon. Thanks as always to Hannah and to Will and to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio for their hard work on the High Performance Podcast. Thanks as well to our exclusive sports partner Give Me Sport. Just head to givemesport.com forward slash podcasts to find out more about the great stuff that they're doing with us. And that's it. Thank you, finally, to you. Without this high-performance podcast being spoken about on your social media accounts and shared and rated and reviewed and you looking at our YouTube videos and stuff, we wouldn't be having the impact we are. And Damien and I always say, the outcome, not the income, is what this podcast is about. And we just want to keep impacting people's lives. Have a good one, and we'll see you for another episode very soon.